Listeners everywhere, welcome to The Movie Show with Joel and Ryan, the weekly fix for your screen addiction and a trusted source for discussion of all things film and television. Please keep in mind that for the purposes of this podcast, Joel and Ryan are not acting as journalists, but rather fellow moving picture enthusiasts. All of their opinions should be taken as such. Also, please be warned that while Joel and Ryan may seem like petulant children, they are, in fact, adults who may occasionally use adult language. While they promise to keep out all the worst words, it's a good bet you will still understand what they were saying. And now, with no further ado, here's Joel and Ryan. Welcome! Welcome, welcome! Welcome, everybody, to the movie show with Joel and Ryan. We are here. Welcome to the show that asks the eternal question, is it a game or is it real? Um, and uh, yeah, I'm a movie show. I'm Joel. I'm Ryan. And of course, you can see if you were on the video feed, uh, but we have our special guest today, Mr. Brian Crossland. Woo-hoo. Yay. Thank Yay. you. Thanks, gentlemen. Hi. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, good to see you, my friend. How, Where was uh, how the are things for him? Uh, I was it's scrolling good. through and uh, forgot somewhere, to uh, forgot to hit it. Yeah, somewhere um, buried between spooky Halloween sounds from last. Yeah, week. that's <laughs> yeah. Well, when I when I yeah, I had way too many Halloween sounds. And, uh, so skeletal clap I can, we can have like you know, I can the, give you. Uh, let's see, I can give you a I tentacle thing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, a harpsichord. Like, give me yeah, some little, Adams Family style walk in. Little <laughs> tentacoli. There he is. Uh, yeah, this is a little late. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Sad. Oh, Joel with the sadness. Um. Anyway, uh, welcome to the movie show with Joel and Ryan. Brian, we're great. It's great to have you here. Um. So, uh, today's episode, uh, kind of was uh came from the mind of Brian. Um. Uh, Brian. Yeah. Yeah. Which is <laughs> it, it, we we have we have very low the low, bar is set very low for this episode. Um. But the uh. Brian works in uh, with computers on a daily basis, um, programs, computer games, uh, does all sorts of fun stuff. And so Brian came up with the idea of like, hey, what if we talked about some movies that had computers and games and crazy things and shenanigans go awry? Which is a great idea. And then I went hunting for computer movies and it turns out I hate almost all of them. <laughs> I didn't want to talk about any of them because we we're not there's like believe yeah. it or not we're not all about spreading the hate on the movie show with Joel and Ryan we try and yep. share the love but there were two of them that popped right out one of which Brian mentioned by name and the two movies that I think even though it's you're gonna have to follow with us as we wind around but I think they really are connected in key ways and and then we're gonna fill in the gaps with all kinds of other stuff. That yeah. is also kind of connected, but not really. The, the 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 key element here, like there's one, there's there's a link. Yeah. There's a link between all of these things, and it is a gentleman named Phil Alden Robinson. And uh and another guy called uh Walter F. Parks. Yeah, Walter F. Parks, a few astro clerks and blonde rhino spaniel. Just As they're known in, in other circles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> keep that in mind. Yeah. Um, and so we will, we will, you know, so that's that's that is the avenue that we are going to be traversing. There it's paved with cobblestones, so it might be bumpy from time to time. But we will get we will get to where we're going. I have confidence. 
Um, it, it, like everything on the show, it's an excuse to talk about cool movies, and there's yeah, three really, or four yeah. or five even really super cool things to talk about here. So yeah, that's that'll, uh, that'll so, be neat. Yeah, so we're kind of calling this uh, from war games to sneakers and all the goodness in between. So, uh, Brian, uh, tell us a little bit about your uh, about your your love of computers and these computer movies, real quick, before we uh, yeah. jump into the movies proper. So, my love of computers started very, very young. Um, I love to take apart and tinker with anything electronic or technical. Um, since I was a kid, like I would take things apart to see how they worked, and then the challenge for me was put them back together. That so nobody knew I took them apart. Uh, <laughs> And my first introduction to computers came in grade school, where, you know, as we'll see in war games, these phones with the dialers, which you put, you put on there, and they, they give you the terminal, and you dial up to another computer, and you do stuff. And that fascinated me, that you could write this program out on the floppy disk and put it into a computer, boot it up, and that was the entire memory of the system, and it would do whatever you told it to do. And if at to the a fault... And the fault was the human fault. So if you made a mistake in your writing of the program, it would fail just flat out. Or it might do something you didn't expect it to do. And to this day and age, that still surprises me, you know, like, and I've been doing this for over 25 years professionally. And, you know, you count all the years that I was doing it as a kid. Um, there, it never ceases to amaze me that sometimes like the program blows up and I'll still get mad. But ultimately, I'm the one at fault. Like, I told it to do that, and it did what I told it to do. Yeah, yeah. It 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 does not intuitively go. Um, well, maybe that's maybe that's the thing is you just haven't uh, you you need a Joshua. You need something that will learn. I do, and, and it will go. Oh, I don't think you meant to do this. I uh, let me let me just bypass it and fix it here and and, and do this other thing. Yeah. Um, if I, Playing with AIs is something that I've been doing on the side. And if I ever get to the level where I've got a Joshua that asks me if I want to play a game, I'm going to make mm -hmm. sure that the list of games does not include global thermal nuclear war, just in case. Wise. Right. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> probably, probably. Yeah, probably good. Good starting point. The first. Yes, I have. Yeah. Um, nice. Awesome. Well, that that takes us right into our, our opening film here, 1983's uh, War Games. Um, one of those movies that for me personally... Uh, when it's on, I stop what I'm doing and watching and watch it. Um, I, I, I love me some war games and, um, yeah, it's, does anyone out there, like if you haven't seen war games, I know it's 1983 and some of our younger listeners, um, might not have, excuse me, might not have watched war games, but what are you doing? Go watch war games. Yeah. War games. It's pretty much always awesome. good advice. Yeah. Yep. It's super good. Matthew Broderick, Ali Sheedy, Dabney, Col the Dabney Coleman, the Barry Corbin. <laughs> Barry Corbin's great. And don't yeah. forget uh, John Wood. He's John good Wood. At, yeah. He's yeah. as good in this as he is in anything. And he's always a treat. Um, yeah. War Games is a story. One of those one of those kids 
who had all that stuff and spent every penny and all his time on it exploring and breaking stuff and you can see he's got a little soldering station and he's got all this stuff you know he had basically the coolest although i i guess that's speaking to the nerd in us but he had i thought the coolest like high school kid bedroom i've ever seen in a movie and maybe still to this day yeah. i've ever seen um i'm not i don't know i'm not technically completely useless but i can't take apart things and put them back together that's for sure and mm -hmm. so you know so there's this other level of you know this is a special guy who's doing all this uh the the original hacker or whatever and yeah those whatever they are those phone modems were fascinating things i thought yep mm -hmm. and that was one of the like out of that movie sprang terminology into the industry that we hadn't heard before war games introduced us to that program like that he has that goes through and starts dialing people mm -hmm. um it's just a fast dialer program it runs through and says okay here's a, a as he calls it he calls the information line he says give me the area code give me the exchange for this particular area in the country and then he just tells it go from quad zero to nine 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 and just dial keep dialing find out which ones of these are um, computers that answer the phone and which ones are human beings and computers log it human beings dump it and he lets it dial all night he comes up with this thing that entire scene promoted the term war dialing which became a thing inside of hacking communities when they're talking about trying to figure out where where's an open terminal somewhere you would war dial you could war dial entire area codes looking for computers to then talk to find out what information they had and usually it was you dialed up you talked to another terminal and it said hey i'm so and so so much open back then like, yeah. like what would you like to do today right <laughs> and then it, you would have a list of things you could do you could put files on it if it was a bulletin board system you could take those files down it was the early ages of the internet but it truly was one computer to another computer and that's it you didn't talk to anybody else yeah. yeah, and it they the they there's without getting too ahead of the plot, but there's there's a a scene that was inserted later as an homage to the sort of computer consultants that they worked on with Murray Chaikin and Eddie Deason, which is maybe my favorite scene in the movie where he goes. I can't remember what school he goes to to visit those guys. <laughs> yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but they after. <laughs> Obviously, the creators of this, the screenwriters in particular, but they all got really, really literate about how this stuff works. And the more they learned about it, the more they realized that's the story. This doesn't have to be magic. This, yeah. what's happening here is cool enough and interesting enough. And it, in what it is in reality that you can, and that's the film, in my opinion, it gets a little obviously as it goes, but everything, everything springboarded off this reality and those those two guys, the two consultants who speculate about where he's, what he stumbled onto early in the film and argue with each other. Eddie Deason's about the world's most annoying human being. And he's usually, <laughs> so he's usually cast to that effect. Yeah. And Murray, Murray Chaikin is, is one of the all time great screen curmudgeons. And the two of them, I think are magic together, but they're very much are the, these people that they were working with from, from, you know, yeah. Caltech and all these like people who they brought in to explain to them how all this stuff works and to make sure that it was real in the film. And 
that starts from the very, very get-go. Uh, there's the obviously there's a famous uh, before things really go crazy. There's the famous um, you know changing your grades in the school system yep. scene, which is yeah. really really fun. It, well, that, that's something I was going to mention. Fraud, you know, the, boys, the fraud. Of, that's the quickest way to a girl's heart, as we see in the yeah. film. Yeah, yes. but but it's like the idea of being... The, the hacker wasn't something that was malevolent. It wasn't something that was no. was evil. A hacker was just, you know, this is a you know this is a kid who is, you know, nowadays we would say, well, he's he's an alternative learner. Right. He does yeah. not He does not do school well, but there's no denying his intelligence um and and so he's uh, yeah and so he uses that he can't you know he can't be bothered with with having to uh to to deal with um uh with traditional schooling and so he's like okay well i'm just gonna go in and change my grade and matthew broderick in a in one of his early starring roles is so good. He's got so much mm-hmm. exposition to get through and so much explaining of everything he's doing. And it's it, it, in the early parts of the film. I actually think the classroom scenes are, dare I say, they're kind of lame. They're kind of screenwritery in a way that once he's in his mm-hmm. natural habitat, trying to impress this girl next door that he has a crush yeah. on, it, it, it just gets very, very true and very, very real. And we get a, just a ton of commuting computing information and hacking information like shared with yeah. us in this in this yeah. kind of amazing way that I don't know it's really good filmmaking war games was directed by John Badham of Saturday Night Fever fame basically and uh Badham put out war games and blue thunder in the same year 1984 uh you know, a couple of films that are iconic for sort of different reasons. War Games, I think, lives on the page and then comes to life sort of brilliantly, whereas something like Blue Thunder, I think, on the page is kind of a turd, and John sort of dresses it up so that we all think it's pretty good. By the time it's over, Mm -hmm. we're not really sure. Um, War Games started with a smart script, well-researched. Who are the four or the three screenwriters on that movie? Uh, Lawrence Lasker, Walter F. Parks, and Waylon Green. Waylon Green. So there, and so the one guy that we're kind of not concentrating on today is also <laughs> a ringer, which that's really really neat. Um, yeah. Lawrence Parks though, and or Walter F. Parks and and Lawrence mm-hmm. Lasker. The what did you? I can't remember their their uh, their the, names the, together. Make up that fun. Uh, a few astral clerks repel Newark. Uh, we'll get to that later, but that's we'll their that, that's yeah. the letters of their the two of their names scrambled up. That's their anagram. Yeah. Um both of those guys, it's funny because they both they write this, they wrote this great script, which I if I don't know this for a fact, because I've never heard any interviews, but which I would guess is a very plot heavy script. And my 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 guess is that Waylon was brought in to bring the humanity into it is what I would guess is what happened here. That's just what I know about the writers, other works and stuff. So maybe that's not true. Maybe I have that backwards, but that's my feeling knowing those particular group of artisans. Um, And it's fun. And of course uh, he does dial up something out of nowhere. That is that uh, shoots back a menu of stuff to him. That is irresistible. It's 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 it. You know, he gets oh, into the 
yeah, he gets into this little games menu, and the games are what you'd expect. There's chess, and there's a whole bunch of things that we all know what it is. And the last game on the list is Global Thermal Nuclear War. And that sounds like the great... I mean, in 1984, that sounds like the greatest computer game of all time. And so, of course, he really wants to play it, but it'll show him the menu. It'll invite him to play it, but it won't let him do it unless he has uh, uh, some sort of password that apparently is pretty tricky. Am I right about that? Now, he needed the password to get into this to log into the system and that was the or yes i think it was he needed the password um to log in and it to tell him like what's the um yeah who's but the, it, it like, shows him the content of the, the of the main frame all, yeah. that he's logged into yeah. before it lets him play it yeah it shows That's, him yeah, all the just, list of games and he yeah. says but and he's a, will, yeah he's not logged in he needs the login yeah, he needs right. the login and, and that's yeah, the, and, the key yeah, and the so login he, is very famously and very stupidly, since it shows well, that even a novice we, can figure it out. Well, and that's, that's where we, you know, that's the great thing that we learned from from the two from the two guys, uh, you know, from our from our awesome Abbott and Costello pair. Right, right, is right. That, uh, yeah, is that? Oh, well, yeah, no. Computer programmers put in back doors all the time so that they can just bypass all the other crap, yep. so that they can just get to work. Which makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, yes. And and in this case, it is it is like well, certainly he couldn't do a backdoor password. That's just his pa- son that has passed away. The creator's son that has passed away. <laughs> but look at how long it took Broderick's character in the film to come up with that. This is it. What we're watching in this film is social engineering. This is how most people who try to scam you or fish you get through into security systems inside of companies social engineering he went and and the first clues came from uh the two guys who said hey man i bet you it's the first game on the list falcon's maze so he went and researched falcon and then he looked at everything about falcon and he tried everything that was related to falcon that would have been personalized until he finally got down to the name of the of his kid and you look at us as even today, if you work in any company or uh, that gives you security training, or maybe even, you know, you read stuff, says, well, how do you, you know, create a good solid password? And they'll tell you, don't use your kid's birthday. Don't use people that you care about. Don't you? And that's because social engineering allows a person who's a bad actor, in this case, not necessarily Broderick, he's a good actor, uh, <laughs> taking <laughs> like reverse engineering what you're thinking to put down as a password. And so he can get into the system and it works and it works mm-hmm. and uh yeah and then but then the little then the twist is is once once uh david broderick's character david realizes that that things have gone awry uh with the, with the thermonuclear global thermonuclear war game well i didn't really realize um, that at first all he realizes no, is he, that yeah, somebody somewhere is starts coming after him for this like well, but, basically but, but everyone I mean is, yeah, what I mean is though is is the next you know like when he hears about it on the news and he's like, yeah. oh, I'm getting rid of all of this stuff. The computer calls him back. Yeah, yes. The computer calls him saying, "Hey, we haven't finished the game yet. Yep, we yeah. need to continue doing this." And uh, and to me, that's a that's a big that's a big part of this too is that yeah. it is it's a learning com- it's a it's a thinking computer. Yeah, that. Again, it's not a, it's not a sentient computer that is like doing this. I'm gonna, you know, uh, we're gonna, you know, get some T1000s and. But from and, a cinematic sense, it has tons of personality. Yeah. But, you know it. 
it it is calling him back and it is lonely and it does want connection with this person who stumbled upon it that found it yeah and that's that's neat that and that's the way they ultimately get to it and solve all their problems in the end which are which are grand grandiose end of the world Mm -hmm. type problems um yeah is by playing on that connection and and counting on it to learn and that's the rudiments of of ai as we know it and it's it's and it's really again really really emotionally and dramatically satisfying which is fun yeah and that that moment when the computer calls him and he picks it up and he realizes it is joshua calling him like to this day i still watch that and that's the creep factor where you're like holy holy crap no 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 it's supposed to call you back like these were always initiated in one direction and right, it was right. always between humans. And now the mm-hmm. computer's like, no, we're not finished. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I I also, you know, one of the things I, I mean, th- th- this is very much an eighties movie also in the, in the, in the sense that it, uh, ha- it captures that generational um, divide where, you know, we have these incredibly smart kids uh, the, the you know, or at least kid in this case. I mean, Ali mm-hmm. Sheedy's Ali Sheedy's not you know not dumb, but she's you know not the. No, indeed, she comes. She's such a great um, sidekick slash love interest slash person who go on this adventure with him because she's comes up with several of the film's best ideas and repeatedly gets them out of trouble using mm-hmm. her. Yep. Personality, which is something he really struggles to do from scene <laughs> right. to scene. It's uh, it it. Ali's fantastic in it, and you all, everyone, uh, at least all of the three of us, I can speak for us. I'm pretty sure we all fall in love with her essentially in that in War Games, well, yeah. which shows oh, yeah. you how cool the character is and how great the actor is. Um, but it it's more than that. She's she's from the moment she enters the story till the very very end, she's she's got a ton of agency and does a lot of really great stuff in it. And it's I think you stumble across, um a lot of women from this era who really, really like this movie who may not like Krull or whatever the other movies in 1983, 84 were (laughs) that we think of as iconic or, you know, and I, I really do think it's because she's the only thing to hang that on that connection to the story. A part of that is, Hey, we got to get a a girl in here. I get it. But it, if you're going to do it, they really found a really effing cool way to do it she's very very she's just very very cool she's an equal partner in the adventure and i love that every time every i I loved it as a kid but i didn't really know what i was looking at and i didn't care i took it for granted as as i watch similar things from the time period and as we kind of grow up it's an easy one to look back at because of how uh to use joel's term how winning both of them are and how you just root for them and how how they mm-hmm. they're very very clever they think and and act and sneak around their way out of everything and i i until they don't but you know the odds are right. definitely stacked against them but the yeah that we're running in front of this freight train that's the plot of the film and we sort of bury the lead a little bit i don't i don't want to cut everybody off and then double up my blah 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 here but the Global Thermal Nuclear War is a simulation project that's been uh, co-opted and developed by the government to uh, run war game scenarios 
And when he starts that in progress, he starts it on a on a military level. They use that same old bunker that's out there in Arizona or Nevada someplace. NORAD. Yeah, where we mm-hmm. see yeah, NORAD in the film, but we see that. Yeah. It, there's a thing that's actually out there that we see in uh, the Hulk and you see it in all these movies. Oh, where, yeah, yeah, yeah. The the old the missile silo and bunker that they have. Oh, yeah. There. The, it's, the, it's almost yeah. in every movie set. I, yeah, I yeah. And every time like you need to show like some underground Dakota. bunker, we see the outside of this thing, which I can't remember what it is. I want I think it's the 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 outside part anyway is the yeah. I think it's a nuclear waste disposal facility actually in real life is what that is. Okay. I think it's but I don't know that for a fact. So sorry everyone if you know better. Um, if but you we do know, put it in the comments below. Yeah, <laughs> please do reach out to us on the Facebook page on the movie show with Joe and Ryan. You can now reach out to us. Uh, you can now find us very quickly on YouTube by just yep. searching at the movie show with Joe and Ryan. <laughs> and War Games starts out in its in the one. It has one of the greatest opening scenes that you will ever see of all time. It's, it is it's intense so and off the hook, amazing. It starts yes. out with these guys making their way through the snow, and it just isn't the movie. It's odd because this is not the movie that you were sold by the marketing, and it's mm-hmm. not. It, it starts in a way that's very disorienting, and you're not sure what it is. It brings in two absolute ringers john spencer and michael madsen who play these two missile silo guys whose job is to sit around blah 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 drink coffee do nothing and when the time comes for us to launch our nuclear weapons at the soviet union they just gotta turn the keys at the same time they gotta they gotta do it it's a fail safe one crazy guy can't do it and it's just I might as well spoil it. It's the first scene, and it is the inciting incident that causes a lot of this stuff to start rolling, even though our heroes are completely unaware of it. Yep. It's it it Spencer can't bring himself to launch nukes at people. He he, he it's his only job, but he just never dreamed it would happen. It's like mm-hmm. it's a it's it's perfect microcosm of our lives we we know these weapons are everywhere we know we're pointing them at each other but in 1984 we we just sort of you know the guy says it in the abyss they say it in the day after i just don't think about this because to think about it and to confront these ideas of annihilation Mm -hmm. they're way too heavy and spencer in a brilliant performance and madsen too to his credit the two of them to see them hanging out and their pals and they're joking around with each other and then to see the shit start coming down in this scene and to see one guy just become incapable and you really your heart goes out to him i can't cause the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people i just cannot bring myself to do it millions two two observations that scene ends with madsen pointing his sidearm at at spencer's head saying turn turn the the key key, turn the key turn the key sir and then this Um, go ahead i was gonna say two observations though that i made that i never that i never picked up on before yeah uh at the very beginning john spencer is talking about strains of marijuana about these (laughs) about these (laughs) about how these things you know like oh this sense of me it gets you so high noble you know just sends you tripping and I never picked up on that before because, of course, these guys. It's eighty four, and the heroes are our age, but it's still written by baby boomers in the end. So right, yeah. but it's but it's you know, but it is it's these guys who are on for twenty four hours and they're off for twenty four hours. So what do they do yep. during those twenty four hours? 
yeah, probably sit and get high a little bit Big, and read man. and do whatever. Because <laughs> because why not? And then the other part is outside when when they're doing the exchange when when the uh, when the two guys are getting off their shift and the other there's a sign that that says anyone caught urinating in this area will be disciplined. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and, and I'm like that that brought me so much joy. I yeah. don't know why. I'm like because of course there's just like. Oh, I guess we got to put up a sign because people are peeing here again. <laughs> one of those two <clears throat> most likely did. Yeah, it. one of those guys. Yeah, one of those guys was like, "I better pee before we go in here for twenty four it, hours." It's an astounding yeah. opening. There's a hard cut at the mm-hmm. end of it where you find out that it wasn't a nuclear war. I mean, it, it the whole thing yeah. feels real and urgent and crazy to us, the mm-hmm. audience. We find out that was just a simulation. They were literally doing a psych test on the people they had in these silos to see if they were capable of doing it. If, if the word came down that they were supposed to, and they found, I don't know, yeah. the, I don't remember the exact percentages. It was like 21%, 20 some percent. Yeah. Just yeah. Refused to, turn to do the it. It was, it yeah. wasn't mm-hmm. just his character. There were guys all over the country who just couldn't bring themselves to. And of course the, our wonderkind Dabney Coleman's like, I have just a solution to this. Mm-hmm. It's a computer, you know? And yeah, we got. We can't have this human element in this. It has to be an unfeeling computer. When the president decides it's time to send the nukes, thirty-one percent of them can't just not go. And you know, yeah. it in, in yeah. that way, by that logic, you can, it's hard to argue with them. <laughs> you know, but it it it's this game that's logged into this real thing that causes the DEFCON system to kick into action and all the simulation starts to show up as real on all these, the great, you'll see it if you saw our little shingle for the week, this fantastic control room set. Maybe my favorite control room set in all of movies. Oh, one of the best. And apparently it Mm -hmm. looks, because they toured NORAD before they made this set. Mm-hmm. And the set actually looked better than the actual. I, I have no doubt. Episode. Yeah, it, it's it's everything you'd want and more. You know, uh, it, it's just it's just stunning. It's a great way to spend the final act yeah. of the film. Um, but we, I guess, before we get there, but it's important that you understand that about war games. Mm-hmm. That it that the there's an argument here between the human element and the and the and the cold hard logic of of a. Uh, logic board and they they make that in this great extremely dramatic way right from the get-go and by the time you cut you know from the missile silo and people pointing guns at each other and screaming at each other to the military saying everything's screwed up in the world and we have to blah 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 to just this kid in a high school the it the dramatic steps that you go through before you meet our hero really are awesome and that's one yeah. of my favorite things about the film. And, of course, their whole road trip where they seek out Falcon to, to try and find out if there's some way to shut this down, some hidden switch, yeah. some whatever, just to get answers. And just because they're on the run and need to run someplace. And the Falcon character, yeah, whose son Joshua died in an accident, he... uh He's just a fascinating character. Where did? How do they meet him? He's flying like a drone or a or a, a toy airplane, flying, a model airplane. Paradactyl. It's a model. It's a model. Paradactyl. That's right. Yeah. It's yeah. a model dinosaur. Yeah, and that's his whole. And that's his whole thing. Is he's 
you know, what the reason why he leaves the war games project and the Whopper project and all that stuff is because he realizes this whole thing, this is, this is the last vestiges of humanity. This is, we're done. We've had our time. We yep. are the next dinosaurs and the earth will go on. That's why he, you know, so he's, he's living in this place that when nuclear war happens, they'll be one of the first ones evaporated. He'll be like, yep. we're going to be, we're going to be good. Cause we're going to be completely dead. Yep. So don't worry about it, everybody. You know, and, and yeah, we won't yeah, have he's to be given up. fighting he's giant going... mutated scorpions like yeah. two years from now. <laughs> Just put me right next to the power plant where I go up yep. and smoke right away. That is, yep. that's the first time I'd ever heard that idea articulated. And I sort of, if it has to come to that, I sort of agree with it. Of course, our young heroes are not cynical. Their lives have not been destroyed by despair. And they're not willing to just usher in, you know, happily <laughs> humanity. Right. So they they have to make their case to him, and it's a, it it it's hard. He's a, Wood plays the character as an eccentric, the way you would expect, and it's fun. But with real, despite the fact that he's charming and witty and very nice to these this these our heroes, he's you can tell he really does believe we're doomed, and yep. it's a good thing. And that's tough to penetrate that throughout the film. Yeah, um, they all do eventually get busted, and that great helicopters come down and get them or whatever scene. I, well, yeah. no, it's it's uh, it's Falcon decide Falcon decides, and he gets his own helicopter because oh, they're right, trying right. to get off the they're trying to get right. off the island and realize who lives on an island without a boat. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. I forgot about that. That's fantastic. He has a helicopter, and so he yeah. says, "All right, come on, kids, get in." And they they fly off to try to get into NORAD before everything uh, before everything shuts down. Uh, what I was going to say earlier, you know, it has the generational thing with you know it has these the Dabney Coleman's and the the computer guys who can't who can't pot no kid could possibly do what <laughs> yeah. I do. I I'm brilliant. How could you possibly? <laughs> um, and uh, it, but in this case. Um, you know, it, it, you know, it does happen and, uh, and they don't believe anything, you know, Broderick is Broderick's character is saying, you know, he was like, Oh, I just was trying to find game. Like, oh, you're trying to get into to find toys, he's trying to get into a toy company. Yeah. Like, well, yeah. Cause you, you guys aren't, you, they won't think, um, I want to give uh, a shout out to, uh, I, I'm not sure how we say her name. Is it Juanine, Juanine Clay? who plays she's the woman who is like dabney coleman's yes. right hand gal yeah yeah because um, yeah. i'm like i'm like that is who i because she's also the one who's like come on falcon come on kids like she's the one who's yeah. actually like well, getting them in there and I, coleman's I, I, I a great her. this is maybe the best like non-villain villain of his career that he's played right. he it's not a it's i mean he brings his usual stick to the role there's no question about that but his up till this point, the last couple of years, he's been playing really pretty much straight up bad guys since nine to five. That's he, it's yeah. virtually all he did to the end of his career was play some version of that. And this right. dude is smart. And he, once he realizes what is going on, he doesn't just sit there stubbornly. You know, he they all become they all join team uh, non-apocalypse basically. And that, <laughs> it's like, that's yeah. also refreshing to see, you know, it's, it's, yeah. I really, really dig that. And of course, B Barry Corbin as the Luddite general who, 
you know, is against the computer idea from the get-go. And he's got eating his red man chewing tobacco. I'll never forget that throughout the whole scene. And that, that shit, son, I'd piss on a spark plug if I thought it'd do any good. That's one of the greatest out of context lines in all of eighties films for sure. After careful consideration, I have determined that your computer sucks. Sucks. (laughs) He knows Corbin must've read that. And he, I, he, he feels like he didn't really read the rest of it. He just knew how to nail these redneck general lines. There's IMDB. IMDB is saying that he improvised most of his lines. And I don't know if I believe that, but, uh, well, they feel very fresh and improvised. Joel, you've Mm -hmm. disappeared from us visually. I don't know where you went. Did it? It, it did, did it again. To it us, did it again, anyway. guys. It did it again. My there, phone he's keeps back. wanting. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. A- it's fun that the AI in your phone is what's interrupting our show today. I actually think that's sort of appropriate. It's, it wants to play it's, a game. It's we got a few fun, other movies and a few other projects to get to. Any final word on War Games? Anything I, we're leaving out that's a big highlight? Other than just the light show? I remember I saw War Games in the middle of like a Wednesday afternoon in the summer. And it was one of those films because of the 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 light show, that control room, and the graphics. Yeah. When I came out into the sun, my my eyes hurt physically. They hurt. <laughs> it's not some yeah. dark movie or whatever, but it's so like being in a disco almost. You know, it yeah. has that well, same yeah. sort of effect on your psyche. And I was just like, the first time I remember ever feeling that sort of sensation that I'd been in the dark with lights flashing and strobing in my face and my my eyes are not ready for anything legit or organic yeah well, one thing i would say about this film is that even if you're not into computers you're not into uh that you know makes nation no posturing right it doesn't matter because it's so well written to take complex subject matter and give it to you in easily digestible explainable ways that doesn't feel like you're being preached at it doesn't feel like you're being like you've got a high level lecture that you have to parse, like right. it, everything from the way that uh, the Broderick uh, interface. And you, it with doesn't condescend to you at all either, yeah. which that, that's, it's magical, the tone, because it's what I hate about all these other computer movies. Either the computer stuff is just absolute BS and that yep. it's really not used to good effect in the film. And when I look at all of them and I looked at them all, I feel like virtually all of them, at least from this era, I'm just like, I don't like that. I hate that one. That's ugly and stupid. That one's dumb and (laughs) condescending. You know what I mean? Like the, like I, the the example I use so that you can use any of them is that stupid, that supercomputer they build in that cave at the end of Superman three, the computing in (laughs) Superman three is so stupid (laughs) that it, it that you watch it today, you really watch it just a couple of years later, and you were like, "This is all oh, like I know what that is." You know, there's yeah. one point in the movie where he types list into his terminal, and it shows the stuff on his disk, and they they, they treat that like as some computer magic or like he's Ooh. some genius. <laughs> it's so, yeah. and you're just like, okay, so I'm revealing that I'm a little bit more of a nerd even than I said I was, but it, but it that's lame, and I hate it, and this thing. Never for a second does that. It's stunning. Yeah. It really never ever does that. Right. It it's really great, and they accurately portray. Um, I have to say, being in the industry, computer scientists, for all the various ways that they are, like their personalities, <laughs> from the totally nerdy to the this guy's annoying to the 
um, and I can't remember the character's name, the guy who works with Coleman, who he calls and he's like, what's going on with the machine? And the dude is frustrated. He's like, I've tried this and I've tried this. And, this is... <laughs> and when they find out that the there was that open modem line, he's like, the phone company fucked us. Fucked... <laughs> like, I know guys like that. Who yep. think that like a mistake is where somebody legitimately had some malicious intent. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that's funny. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I, I would also say, uh, you know, that this is a case where the the you know the computer. This is not a movie about computer graphics. This isn't yeah. about the cool things that computers like. Oh, we can make you know computers seem real. The and and the fact that you're just the the isolation element of war games. Once you're in NORAD and you have no idea what's happening on the outside world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All you have, to yeah, because they very famously figure out it's just a simula simulation and do the right mm -hmm. thing. And there's this yeah. great turn where that w wasn't enough. Yeah, you know, yep. like a, a really great eight nineteen eighty four false ending. Nineteen eighty four was full of fantastic false endings, and this is one of the very <laughs> very best ones. Mm -hmm. it, where and you're they just did like nineteen eighty three. We're just like, <laughs> take that nineteen eighty three. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, I, I just, oh my God, I love, I, I love war games. I could sit and talk about it forever, but we got to move on. We got to, let's talk about well, some of the other. That's Walter F. Parks and he's sort of the yeah. thread and Lawrence Lasker. They sort of tie these couple of things together, which is, mm -hmm. you know, they, it, like I said, it's loosely connected, but the other guy we want to talk about, uh, Joel was about to say blonde is rhino Phil, spaniel. Yeah. Blonde, blonde rhino spaniel is Phil Alden Robinson. Who, uh, you know, we will we will get to was uh, across the, town making another movie at the time. Yeah, he was. Uh, let's see. At that time, he was probably making a little movie called Rhinestone. <laughs> That's right. Um, <laughs> Rhinestone. You know, you can't. There, that the 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 spectrum that goes from war games to Rhinestone is pretty large. That is that is a that is quite a journey one would have to make to get from one to the other. Uh, Rhinestone is uh, Sylvester Stallone and Dolly Parton. Dolly Parton, um, in in a romantic comedy about uh, a, a a a singer, an aspiring singer from from Tennessee, and he comes to New York, finding him. Uh, well, anyway, they go. They, he goes to. He's it's Sylvester Stallone sings. That's the movie. Sylvester Stallone sings and tries and to falls in love way. with Dolly Parton. That really, and falls in love that with Dolly really is the movie. I think the thing to know about this, because we don't need to go into Rhinestone too deeply. No, no, but, we don't. But the thing to know about it that I know about it, because I have a, it's fun. I have a screenwriting, screenwriters on screenwriting is what it's called. I bought it when I was in college, and uh, and Phil is in there, and it's funny. They're they're mostly the it it's screenwriters, but it's mostly. Like they didn't get, you know, William Goldman and stuff. Like it's mostly film directors talking about screen films they wrote. And Alden Robinson talks about Rhinestone. And the very next chapter is James Cameron talking about Rambo. And both of those guys, they're both they were both directors by the early nineties, obviously. And they both had written scripts from scratch that they handed in that they thought were gonna be turned into cool movies. 
uh, that Sylvester Stallone got attached to in the mid-80s. And Stallone, being a screenwriter, director himself, rewrote them to be basically unrecognizable to both writers. And Robinson is still sore about it. He's still pissed oh, yeah. about it. He, he, he just like, I don't, you know, but he said that's the lesson every screenwriter has to learn. It's, yeah, Hollywood's collaborative, but it's also just, you're really just here to, you know... Uh, Hampton Fancher wrote one of the greatest scripts ever when he wrote that Blade Runner script and Ridley Scott still got rid of him and brought in David Peoples to write what Ridley wanted to see on the page but was not talented enough to write himself. And that happens in most Ridley Scott movies. There's a guy that either the original guy rolls with the punches to the end, which is very unusual, or there's a guy brought in who just takes the director's ideas and changes everything. Um, and sometimes changes everything two, three, four times a day. And, and all Robinson's like, I don't, you know, I don't get it. I don't, I, when I watched it, I was devastated, blah, blah, blah. Cameron, on the other hand was, which you'd think he'd be the one that would be temperamental about this, but he was like, well, you know, they got different needs on the set and they, you know, I get it. You go, you want to do this and you got all the suits telling you, it needs that. It needs more of this. So, you know, things Whatever I knew when I handed it off, like it's not mine anymore. Like he had this yeah. very wise way of looking at, because Rambo, other than its idea, the kernel of the idea, it doesn't represent a Jim Cameron script at all, really. No. Um, the idea does. The we're gonna, you know, we're gonna fight the end of World War Two, and the Nazis are the Russians, and the Japanese are the, you know what I mean, and. Yeah. And and we're gonna finally win the Vietnam War. Like that's very James Cameron. But <laughs> but the rest. So the philosophically, that somehow remains intact. But from moment to moment, it just it's dumbed down, and it's it, yeah, it's too um, bad for its audience. <clears throat> um, that very much happened to Rhinestone. But Rhinestone's not and Rambo. First Blood Part Two is not without its charms. Neither is Rhinestone. Stallone's not a hack. He wrote an Oscar-winning screenplay, after all. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. he just, all his writing is what that era is in the service of his stardom. It's everything that war games isn't. It is yeah. plotting and manipulative and condescending in a way that it doesn't really need to be if it has enough of a soul of its own. So that's my take on that. It, let, 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 before, just to get rhinestone out there and then we'll quick move on. So rhinestone is Pygmalion. Rhinestone is my fair lady, but it's Dolly Parton has to turn um, has to turn Sylvester Stallone into a country western star. So again, the writer's idea and his concept is all Mm -hmm. there. It survives. Mm -hmm. It's just the heart and soul of the thing was sort of eroded away through many, many rewrites. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's Dolly Parton. Dolly Parton wrote two top 10 hits. There are two top 10 hits from this movie, mm-hmm. Tennessee homesick blues and God won't get you. Now, one of the other, um, two, two top 10 she, country the, hits. Yeah. Two top 10 country hits. Uh, weirdly enough, Drinkenstein by Dolly Parton performed by, uh, by Sylvester Stallone did not make it <laughs> into the top 10. Yeah. But Drinkenstein uh drinkenstein is that 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 to me is one of the reasons to see this movie um, uh, look the music's uh, pretty great that's where that's where dolly came in and where she mm-hmm. knew all these people she's you know she was fantastic and she was a really good actor during this era too I, yep. maybe she still is she she doesn't really do the work of an actor anymore she's just more yep. kind of as herself but 
really natural on screen. Sly's trying mm-hmm. something different. The movie was a big bomb. It was Sylvester Stallone should never do a comedy anymore. He should never do a romantic comedy anymore. He went, you know, running home to his usual shtick after this. Yeah. But, you know, the um, ambition is there, but Phil right. didn't didn't like it. But... Uh, yeah, but uh, Rhinestone, one of those... That was... Uh, Rhinestone was very much one of those uh, in the early days of... that. This could have easily appeared on a, on a You Saw It on HBO episode. Yeah. Because this was one that played all the, all the time. And so when I was homesick, I watched Rhinestone. Very few um, people went to see this in the theater, but yet all of us seemed to watch it again and again for some reason, whether it was at the correct. video store or... Yeah. Yeah, so it it it, does, it is one of those. It it mm-hmm. it is its legend and its rep will far outweigh any meager box office receipts that it could actually show from the era in a way that it doesn't really work like that so much anymore. Mm-hmm. Although a little bit, I watched it so on Phil, streaming. Maybe we'll do that someday. Yeah. So Phil, uh, Phil Robinson also, uh, you know, but it got him published, right? He came in, mm-hmm. he he mm-hmm. script doctored up and and fixed up some of the. Cool stuff in Steve Martin's All of Me, which is a fun, right. high-concept comedy that's a little stupid, but we still think of it very fondly, I think. And um, and he got this, and that's the key. You know, you got your script out there. You sold a script. It's right. got your name on it. You might be appalled by it, but yeah, he, it's a he, huge, he big step to be a screenwriter who's had something turned into a... Who, A, has sold anything. That's the first step. And B, mm-hmm. has had anything he sold turned, or she, turned into a, a film. And now he has that. And... Well, and that's the bargain you gotta make. You, like like you said, you may hate it. You may hate that you're... That, that what, what this thing has turned into... But you still need your name, you know. You need your name out there. You need your name um, uh, on something that has, you know, that that exists, and and that's that's the bargain that he had to make and say, "Boy, I hate this, but I need, I need my name out there. I need, I need to have credit. my name. Yeah, I need the credit." And that, you know, that, that you know, then working on all of me, and then you know, then eventually that leads to uh, 1989's Field of Dreams. For, as his uh, directorial debut, am I correct? Correct. Yeah. Stunning. Yep. Uh, Field of but Dreams, it's really um, him as him. Obviously, the Field of Dreams is a novel. It's a beloved baby boomer era. Yep. If you love baseball, if you love the Midwest, like there's a lot of things in there that speak directly sort of to your soul. Um, but it was a novel for us. So he's adapting someone else's ideas and someone else's novel. But also as a film director, it's 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 not an uncomplicated movie to direct. It's has a crazy effing idea at the center of it that you somehow have to that just getting it right on the page isn't enough. You have to get it so that we're all experiencing some version of what it is that we read when we read the novel. And he he pulls that off pretty masterfully, Robinson and Field of Dreams. But Joel, yeah. I'll let you read the crazy synopsis for people who are still unfamiliar with the plot of field of dreams. It's a doozy. Uh, so real quick though, I guess I, I do need to um, uh, in the mood was Phil Alden Robinson's first uh, film. That was in 1987. Ah, oh, in the mood. Hey, yeah. Okay. In, yeah. In the mood. Um, and so that was second. And then before that, he had directed a couple episodes of a TV, a TV show. show, right. Which is what he does but, now, which is sort of yeah, come is, full circle. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So, I mean, uh, field of dreams, um, an Iowa farmer, Ray Kinsella, inspired by a voice that he just can't ignore to pursue a dream he can hardly believe 
Supported by his wife, Ray begins the quest by turning his ordinary cornfield into a place where dreams come true. That's really, really IMDb? That's yeah, your that's, synopsis? That's a little silly, but I like it. It's hiding yeah. some of the gory details from you, which yeah. I always think is kind of neat. Um, we're not going to do it, that. Sorry. No, Spoil it's alerts baseball. It's a baseball all, movie. He, yeah, he makes a baseball stadium in the middle of a cornfield. Well, because at this point, yeah. I mean, it's still there. I mean, the, Yank, the MLB plays games at this cornfield now. Yeah. Where they built uh, the set out in wherever, Kansas. Yeah. yeah. Is that where they shot and, it? They shot it where it takes place in Kansas? Uh, no. Iowa. In Iowa. In Iowa. 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 Okay. Yeah. So it's in Iowa. Um, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, the, you know, they, they, you know, they'll, they'll still Shows go out and, uh, and play, play games out there. They'll, they'll play. That only happened a few, re- relatively recently. They'll play a, they'll play a game out there. I think uh, since there. Uh, 2018, they've been doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so, you know, he, you know, he's crazy. He's crazy. His farm's failing. And of course, instead of trying to save his farm, he's building a baseball stadium. Not a stadium, but a baseball, uh, you know, field. Well, the and, uh, story says that he's a little bit of a dreamer and was never much yeah. of a farmer to begin with. And he starts hearing voices, which is never uh, typically mm-hmm. in films. Hearing voices is a bad thing. Usually in life. <laughs> <laughs> yep. um, but typically, yeah, so he... it's a bad <laughs> yeah. thing. Wow, in the mood. I've never heard of this. <laughs> yeah. I just had to go check um, it out. But it's got, you know, it's, you know, and, you, and weirdly, the voice that he is hearing is not James Earl Jones. James Earl Jones appears in the movie as a, yeah. as a friend. Um, and, not at first, yeah, he's not. Not at first, he's no. not. But yeah, eventually. But anyway. Um, he plays a former, like, Pulitzer Prize winning author who's become a total yeah. shut in recluse. He's basically based roughly on um uh, the guy who wrote uh, uh Salinger JD Salinger yeah it's that's essentially yeah. who uh, you know mm-hmm. um it's obviously it's a different it's nice that he is in fact that cuz in the in the novel isn't it actually JD Salinger that yeah. does yeah so the so here's your first big adaptive issue are you going to try and dramatize JD Salinger coming out and experiencing all this stuff and he smartly doesn't. He creates this completely other character, um, just inhabited it by James Earl Jones having the most fun I think you will ever see James Earl Jones have in a movie. His, his even when he's being a jerk, his his the performance in this is just so buoyant and full of Top energy show. and so yeah. fantastic. The voice tells him to go find this guy, and basically guides him to uh, a baseball game. He he says he finds him, the guy, he doesn't want to have anything to do with him, but they go to a baseball game together, which you can hardly object to. Seems harmless enough. They buy the popcorn, they sit down, and something happens. Then then this guy starts seeing the signs. And that way, the movie is kind of creepy, actually, now that I think about it. A little bit. What what I found... Awesome what is this, this spirit thing. that's doing yeah. this and to what end, you know, I don't know. And, it's a little mm-hmm. weird. Yeah. There's a little bit of, you know, you just suspended disbelief because he hears the voices and he says his wife, like, I hear these things and it tell me I need to do this stuff. And she's like, okay. And I'm like, well, and she, but wow, she's more than easy. that. She is that she supports. She's the most supportive yeah. wife probably in the history of movies because this insane dream that he's, you know, yeah. following, 
She's not there with them 100%, but she's 76-ish percent with them the whole way, which is, I mean, that's literally all you could ask of her. She has this fantastic, like, not where you meet her, but where you really meet who this person is when this, they're having this school hearing, school board hearing over censorship, and she's so, Amy Madigan, you guys know I yeah. just I Amy Madigan is my absolute hero. I just can't say enough good things about her. She's so fantastic. And this might be I'd lean towards her part in in uh the rock and roll fable. I can't remember what that's called. I think she's amazing in that, but this might be my favorite role of hers actually. Um she has to be physically restrained from attacking a pro <laughs> book burning Nazi chick. It's just it's <laughs> Right. So fun. So you, scene. so she's her own person, and that's really, really important. It has that same strength of of war games. It's this guy's story, and it's every guy's like fantasy story. Mm-hmm. Really, the reconnections that are made and the th- amazing things that happen. But if if you it have to right. have a behind every man as a great woman, that woman that they have here is lives and breathes right. on screen in a real way, so that it's not just. I you know I'm here yeah. to either complain about everything you do or support everything you do. That typically is the only role for a person like this. She's fantastic in it in Real the Dreams. Um, it is also weird. Part part of the part of the purpose of the field is sort of a redemptive act for these guys. The 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 black you know the Chicago Black, the black Sox, Sox guys yeah. Who, yeah. who threw the World Series, and so it's like it is. That's another. It's like. It, maybe it's maybe it's like them maybe it's some evil demon it's the dude who you know it's all part of re- you know getting them to redeem the, the baseball yeah. guys forbidden from playing baseball and now mm-hmm. they have a place yeah. to come in some sort of goofy afterlife where they can do that mm-hmm. and that is neat i have to say i right. uh no offense. I've been complaining about this for years, so I'll just get my complaint out of the way, and then we'll do the last part of Field of Dreams. Uh, a couple things. A, Timothy Busfield, who we'll see again, is fantastic as the, what is he, the brother-in-law or something? What's his relationship? Yes. Yeah, yep. he's the brother of uh, Amy Madigan. Yeah, yeah and so he's, he's the brother-in-law. Yep. Yeah, and he's basically going to foreclose on this farm. He's telling him, although he's still a decent enough brother-in-law where he's basically telling him you're crazy what you're doing here. You can, you know, Mm -hmm. but he's in a film again, without a antagonist, he's the closest thing that it comes. He's the anti dreamer of the story and Busfield. That's not an easy role to play. And Busfield does a really, really great job with it. Um, And then the other thing is Ray Liotta, as Shoeless Joe Jackson. Shoeless Joe Jackson, if you want to see Shoeless Joe Jackson, check out Eight Men Out. I really think they sort of capture his out. essence. Leota doesn't. Film. He plays him as some other kind of thing altogether. And I've always thought taking this this soft-spoken Southern kid and turning him into a brash, cackling New York goomba was it just... I hate it. And to this day, it's the only thing I hate about Field of Dreams. It's a little, the movie's a little cloying when it finally comes, wraps itself up, but whatever. That's the journey that you've been on. It's this dreamlike fantasy thing that's full of positivity Mm -hmm. and it's full of leaps of faith and it's full of all this great stuff. And I hate to talk bad about it because people love Ray in this. He's very entertaining, but he's, 
He's right. just this Babe Ruth version of Joe Jackson, and I, I still just like what you're not. Yeah, if your movie's about mm-hmm. baseball, like you got to have some sense of who this guy was, and I'm not sure that if it was made, there was an honest attempt at it, that Ray was somehow incapable of playing him more, just a little bit more, representing him as he was in life, and and there's not even an attempt to do that here, which sort of bums me out. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's let's move on to so because you guys said it's it's a redemptive made, story for yeah. him too, right? Yeah, yeah. There's a, so, I want to I want to call out something about this film oh, that I yeah. didn't realize at the time, um, and it was that 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 character, the very the one that they they see in the baseball stadium, Moonlight, um, who was like this player who played like one inning of one game ever, right. and then went on to be a doctor. That dude was real. Yeah, like like most of them. Mm-hmm. But that guy was a real person who lived in Minnesota in like Chittenholm. And the there's a part in the film where I'm like it, when I first watched it, I was like, wow, this scene seems to shoot more like a documentary than an actual film where I'm watching. And it's like the juxtaposition of photography like kind of threw me. And then I found out that the old people in the bar had found out that they were making this film in Iowa. They left their houses in Chittenholm, Minnesota, drove all the way to Iowa to give <laughs> real testimony about it. So when you're watching it, you're getting real testimony from real people who knew this guy and the real things he did, like not made up by a screenwriter. Yeah. And I was like, that is awesome. Well, and the willingness on your feet to adapt to that sort of thing yes. and then to make that pilgrimage – uh, the sort of central idea to how the story is resolved too is is really really wonderful. It's and and again, 1989. This was big big hardware, yeah. like really cynical films that were really violent and dark comedies. And it this film is such a it's just such an amazing. It's very 89 in a, some ways, but it's this this hopeful thing where. Ch- chasing that that dream despite all you're, you're just being brave enough to do that is paid off emotionally mostly mm-hmm. emotionally is what ultimately what it's really important but in other ways too um and the way we come together to help each other out and it's yeah. it's just it's got so much good stuff in it we, we talk about it back way way back whenever episode two like ever best baseball yeah. movies whenever that was i know yeah. it's way back at the beginning so yep. you'll have to find that one on Podbean. everyone else has flushed that from existence at this point but <laughs> um and we're we don't know what we're doing on the, those early shows you know bear with us uh but it's we talk about it there and the magic of it and you know i think it's really really wonderful you can you compare it to another great baseball film from the same era with a couple of the same people in in uh bull durham and it Mm-hmm. you know field yeah. of dreams ultimately it, it's baseball is an important part of it but it's not really we call it a baseball movie it's not that's not really what it is that's not the template that it follows mm-hmm. it's kind of nothing about yeah. it that's an actual baseball movie there's no baseball game in it uh, the the i mean there's stuff happening but there's no none of that matters it's yep. the feel of the thing, the feel of the day at the ballpark, you know when james yep. earl and kevin go out to the game and that the feel the magic of the the big light shining down out in this cornfield in Iowa and how that's a beautiful, magical thing that, that people are going to want a piece of. 
That's neat. And and yeah, Brian, th- for Moonlight's story is it it that's key to it. You know, all those little things from the past and those little miracles that come together are, are what make the thing sing. And obviously we we think a lot of it here. So And Alden Robinson's okay, second movie, In the Mood. Still never mm-hmm. heard of In the Mood. That's about Patrick Dempsey running off with a couple of older women and he becomes some media sensation or something. I'll have to okay. see if I can find that. <laughs> But it makes sense. It's really hard to believe that he could have the juggling act that is Field of Dreams. I really think the is strength of the thing is as a screenwriter again, as an adapter of the material. Because I know the book kind of, and I just know that the choices he made to make it cinema almost work unconditionally, and they never ever. Most importantly, they never lose sight of the great thing that the novel did for people they always try even if they change things dramatically they try and find the essence of what that was and did never let that go and that's probably the lesson of rhinestone that respect for the writer that i'm rewriting but that i'm you know what i mean Mm -hmm. that i'm i'm gonna i i'm not gonna change this thing fundamentally so that we don't recognize it anymore i'm not gonna turn it into a farce and it could have easily been a farce easily right so we come full we come back around full circle now so lawrence lasker walter f parks they become buddies with phil alden robinson field of dreams is a huge hit obviously so alden's next project is is hot hollywood's Mm -hmm. hot for him but maybe the only time in hollywood history where hollywood's hot for him so enjoy this next couple of years mate and he gets he gets a, a cavalcade of stars to do a, a a fun another sort sort of computer hacker uh a caper computer-y, a caper it's but, a heist know, movie really is what a, it is yep, it is yep and um uh yeah and and it's it's sneakers and to turn over uh, I I I have to follow doctor's orders real quick so I'm going to step away from the camera um and I just have to walk around Can you read bit. the synopsis before you go yes, and then we'll take it I from will. there yeah. I will. I, it, so it's a security pro finds his past coming back to haunt him when he and his unique team are tasked with retrieving a particularly important item. And with that, I will turn it, turn it over to Randy Cornslabs and Horny Swan Trainer. <laughs> I love it. That's amazing that we both uh, that we both have horny like nicknames somehow came out of that. That makes me happy. Um, yeah. Sneakers is a delight. It's an ensemble drama, even though it, it, Robert Redford stars in it, and he wouldn't star in it if he weren't the lead of it, which he is. But it's the joy of it is in the ensemble and this quirky group of people that they bring together. There are many, many farcical elements in this that are totally yes. embraced by the many, you know, confusion of identity, many little goofy how do I get out of this when I've been caught with my hand in the cookie jar sort of moments. But it is the story of this team made up of this disparate group of people, kind of like our show. And they, uh, the, oh, I there's a perfect moment. The movie starts with them. Well, it starts back in the past, which I guess we'll get to if we get to it, but yeah, starts with a couple kids back in the sixties. You want to you want to tell it or 60s early 70s maybe you want to yeah, tell no, us 1969 how... specifically because I thought I'm, I remember looking at the screen going wait a second what are you doing with that computer in 69 and then yeah. I had to stop and be like well hmm. actually yes you could 
um, yeah, it's you um, really feel like it wouldn't be in here if you couldn't, and yet these guys are obviously these guys are beyond a kid in his bedroom yeah. playing around. They're they're college students. They're college yeah. students, but they're probably the you know two of the better computer experts in the nation would be our is our guess, and yep. they are doing little bits of pranks. They're basically pranks, but they're pranks. yeah. But they're but they're grand larceny if you go and buy the books. Yes, they are. <laughs> and so so they're they're transferring money around. What do they do? They give the the GOP gives a certain amount of thousands of dollars to the Black Panther Party. <laughs> yep, <laughs> like ten thousand dollars to the Black Panthers. So it's just kinda, it's it yeah. sounds fun and harmless, and it's a really fun scene actually. Uh, one of they're hungry, and one of them wants to go get. Uh, pizza and it's snowing yeah. and crappy out. So who's gonna go? They do this thing where they do a little coin flip, and it's the guy who looks a lot like Robert Redford when he was young that has to go right, go get the yeah. go get the pizza in his Volkswagen van. And the guy left behind reveals that it was sleight of hand that he could have picked either hand and that the whatever he was holding onto wouldn't have been in either. Yep. And and the feds when the feds come, they come for him. And it's it's and, a weird it's a lot like the beginning of war games. It's this mm-hmm. thing that's one thing, and then it's something else, and it feels fairly serious. Um, I, I love that opening because it kind of tells everything. Somewhere in the future, Redford's grown up, and he's taken an assumed name, and he basically runs a security for concerty consulting firm. That it's great. The woman who cuts him the check at the business they break into early in the movie, which is a fantastic way to round robin all the characters. But she, yeah, I I can't say exactly what she says because I can't remember. But she she basically sums it up. She's like, so you break into people's places to show people, you know, how how hard it is to break into their places. And he was yeah. like, eh, it's a living. And she hands him the check and says, not a very good one. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Because, you know, at that moment I talked that I was like, okay, was she making a commentary on exactly what he was doing or had she looked at what he had stolen, given back to the bank, and then the check he was written? Hard to, <laughs> for, I really do think service. it's – I think it's the latter, um, and I think it's a kind of cheap trick because there's no way a team like that who has an office like that yeah. in the Bay Area like is – really super hard up for cash but i think th- you know they're they're basically bribed into doing something quite a bit more nefarious yep. later in the movie and i think their monetary struggles because the expenses of such work are such that they that they kind of all go for it well yep. river phoenix's character says it he says oh no not river phoenix david strathairn says oh, i don't know i don't really care if you go to jail bish i'm in it for the money Exactly. <laughs> um, and it's, you can tell he doesn't really mean that, but it's an extremely clever line. And I guess we should explain who these guys are, right? It's, it's totally a team up movie. Uh, the point man, the con man and the mastermind of the teams played by Martin Bishop, played by Robert Redford, uh, the computer hacker who's also blind. That's sort of a goofy affectation we wouldn't do today, but it's actually handled with a lot of verisimilitude in the film, which I appreciate. It's played by uh, David Strathairn, who's delightful in it. I mean, David's always good, but he he he's another actor who doesn't get to have a lot of fun in stuff, and he gets to have a lot of fun in this movie. Uh, Dan Aykroyd, who gets to have a lot of tons of fun and stuff. 
Um, this is as, I mean, this is as cool a character. This is probably as close to the real Dan Aykroyd as you get in any movie yeah. you've ever seen him appear in. He's a conspiracy theory loving. What's his exactual job? Is he's he's a safe hacker essentially? Yeah, best hands in the business. The, they say. Yeah. He's a he's a he's a mecha- uh, he's the me- on the mechanical mechanic, physical yeah. side of things. He so. can break it. Best breaking and entering. Best hands in the business, and also uh, does telecommunication stuff, but not like full telecommunications because he needs David Sitharan's ear. Ear, to, right? To do like, it. They, the, the, yeah. Two of them make up for each other's weakness. What does yeah. he say to to Bishop Larry? Goes, oh, we're, remind me to make you a, a honorary blind person. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> When when he's locked in a trunk and is remembering what he heard and they're basically yeah. figuring out where he was kidnapped to, that's a fantastic sequence. Uh, also, former CIA agent played by uh, Sidney Poitier. Oh, I, I love the banter between him and Aykroyd throughout the entire film. Sure, because Sidney Poitier is a government man who believes us yeah. and and. Uh, they're, they're hilarious together. Again, Poitier gets it. He was brought in here because he's got a big, powerful voice, and he's yeah. got a, a presence that has tons of authority. But he's also in a comedy, and it and he knows that. I mean, it, I don't know if I want to yeah. call it a comedy. It's it's a mystery suspense film with tons of humor. Is really more what I would call it. But yeah, but the the beauty of it from a lot of movies from this era is it sort of defies characterization. It's it's moment to moment. It is what it is, and you kind of follow it yep. along. Um, crime drama, but because because they are breaking into things and stealing things to get out of trouble, but that doesn't really feel appropriate either. It's a crime dramedy, and crime, and uh, that's right. Inmate Inmate Jellos is back on everybody. I'm back. And River All Phoenix, right. who who's also fantastic in it, plays this very. I mean, River. It's a little showy for him. He's he's mm-hmm. he plays a he plays this sort of socially awkward kid. He's certainly a kid amongst this group of people. Yeah. And um, I'm not sure what his role is specifically. He he was busted for changing his grades. That's a throwback. There's several throwbacks in these movies to earlier movies written and worked on by the same people. Yep. That's the first one. They picked him out. And and co- they the ones who busted him in the first place, and then they yep. said, "Hey, come use your powers for good instead of evil. You won't make as much money, but you'll live longer." Is basically the case. And yep. he's great. I don't know how many air ducts and things he has to crawl around in, and stuff, but he's he's the kid, so they send him on all the dangerous, you know, uh, scary parts of the mission. And finally, it's not an official part of the team, but she really is, as far as this movie's concerned, is. Mary McDonald, uh, fresh off her Oscar nomination, um, playing uh, Bishop's ex-girlfriend and a musical protege and a, and an expert mathematician. And when they're hired by a, the NSA, National uh, Security Agency, Agency, National, yeah. Again, Timothy Busfield and Eddie Jones are my favorite ever. Eddie Jones. <laughs> there's this moment it's a blink and you miss it moment but uh when he you know they're making their case to him they want him to do this mission and once he realizes they're the government he's like i don't work for the government he's like no it's come on just hear us out and they they could do this really nice again fantastic exposition where they tell you what the fbi is the cia is and the nsa is yep. and the difference between them and how the nsa as busfield says with all the charm he can muster 
we're the good guys, you know, and and it it sort of rings true. And some other time when they're meeting in their little room, what does Redford say? He goes, I could have worked for the NSA too, but they found out that my parents were married. Yes, and and Busfield gives the little <laughs> chuckle, you know, but Jones comes in from off screen and has to be physically restrained from kicking Redford's ass. Oh my yep. god, it's funny. I just it the whole thing's full of these like awesome moments. So you got a guy who Eddie Jones's character barely talks in the thing and Eddie the late Eddie Jones, we talked about him on the show and we I believe I talked about that moment because I just love it so much, but he he's great in this. It's a fantastic role for him yeah. because he again, because like I don't want to compare him to Sidney Poitier, but but like Poitier he gets what he is in this film and how being the straight yeah. guy in these moments helps propel the the joy and the comedy of the story along. Anyway, in a fantastic sequence, they're tasked with all they got to do is steal this little black box, they're told, which they don't know what's in it. And I don't want to go into the details of that particular heist. We get to see four different heists basically throughout this film, and that yeah. of which this one's the second one in which the plot sort of revolves around. Um, Donnell Logue is in it. I can't remember the name of the woman who plays Elena Rishkoff, but she shows up again. And oh, yes. She's fantastic. Lee, Lee Garlington. Lee Garlington, right. She's so good. I mean, that whole sequence is so fun and... Again, cartoony and silly, but that is really what's called for in the moment, both of those characters. Yeah. Um, he has to bring Mary McConnell's character along to explain to him what's going on, and what she explains yeah. while they're at this guy's lecture, it's codes. It's, she's talking about cryptography, and he's like, he's like, oh, codes. And she's like, no, un unbreakable codes, you know, incredibly mathematically complex things. Um and the way he's talking with this, he doesn't say this, but with this twinkle in his eye, she goes, I bet you he's found a way. I bet you he's found a key to break it. Yeah. And they're like, hmm, whatever. It's the NSA, you know, what could go wrong? So they, in a very convoluted way, which I won't go into, I only mention Elena Rishkoff because she comes up, the, that actor and that name comes up in another movie that we'll talk about briefly here at the end in a fun callback again, that all the, you know, so that we get the callbacks in there for you guys to watch out for as you revisit these, if you do, but they steal the box. They have a big party back at headquarters, which is a really fun scene where they skip around and Strathairn and Ackroyd start playing around with the box. Yep. And Potty is like, Hey, don't mess around with that thing. And they're <laughs> like, it's ah, fine. I just want to check something out. And they kind of, kind of go through, I don't know, maybe you can explain the tech better than me computer man yeah they, what they're so they, doing they, they're fooling around with this box they've got it open they're messing around with um what they're attempting to do is figure out what does it do by um taking different uh leads and putting it as inputs right without actually plugging the box into something into their Maybe computer they're knows. going from yeah, chip to computer. chip inside the box yep. to see what, what it my, what effect what it this has chip on the data got on it what could, yeah what does this chip do yep. um and what they what they end up finding out is uh, they're listening mostly for a tone is what satharin is listening for is mm -hmm. because they're applying an electrical impulse to it they're they're watching it go through its sequences and most of the it's like okay that's a resistor that's just a transit and then they hit one and they're like what the hell is that whoa like, he says whoa yeah <laughs> and then they pop this thing they get it to go through the outboard uh, the output um auxiliary output i think is what they had on the on the box uh -huh. 
And because he asked River Phoenix to look at it, and he's like, "What does that say?" And he's like, uh, "It says auxiliary out." Like, <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's when Sidney Poitier is like, "Hey, don't mess with yeah, that." Stop <laughs> messing around with that. Once once River's character gets involved, yep. And um, once they figure out this is this is a decryptor. Yep. This is what they this is the has been invented. Decryptor. The decryptor. Yeah. The master skeleton key for like all of this different cryptography, and they go, "Okay, so." What's uh, something? Yeah, give me something that's yeah. impossible to break into, to right. hack into. Federal Reserve, like get, and it decrypts the the Federal Reserve terminal. And this is again where we get to see the early '90s, late '80s, early '90s. Um, they're dialing into these locations. Yep. Right. We're yep. not at the internet yet. Where it's a modem now. They don't actually have to yeah. physically put the phone on the thing. Nope. But it's not that different <laughs> from what we no, saw in not. 1984. Still a, exactly. It's still <laughs> just a little box. But that little phone uh, receiver does make an appearance in the yep. film. I saw that. Where the older, the old, <laughs> it's made for the older receivers and the new receivers don't fit. And you just yep. kind of yep. rest it on top. Um, but yeah, you, so they dial into this computer and of course, oh, the screen's encrypted. Well, let's apply what the the little box says. And then all of a sudden, you can see the screen. The Federal Again, Reserve, the power grid, yeah. the what's the air traffic control? Air tra yep. Yep. All of these these locations where you now realize, holy crap, if somebody could get in there, the massive amount of danger. And this is where, again, this film, like War Games, explains a super complicated subject matter in a very simple and easy to digest thing. Yeah, and I love it. And it it it's not the it's it's really important, but it's not the whole shebang. The the yep. it's the launching off point for a basically a fun adventure film of the era. Yeah, great moment when Poitier sends his wife and daughter home and turns around and he won't let Mary McConnell's character leave the room. Yeah. He says, you're the only one who knew Martin was on the run since the '60s. You're staying. Somebody talked. And she's yep. incredulous, and she's like, no, I'm going to go. And he goes, no, you're going to stay. And Redford looks across the room at him and says, you know what? And he goes, there is not a government on the planet that wouldn't kill us all for that thing. Yep. And it again, it's Sidney Poitier. He came out of retirement, and he was in like nothing really very prestigious. I don't know what. I think he maybe looked back on his career and was like, I didn't do any fun popcorn movies. So here I'm going to do like a six of them and then I'm going to retire again. Um, yeah, this, exactly. I, I really like him and shoot to kill, but this is my favorite post retirement Poitier performance. Okay. It doesn't measure up to the early ones by any means, but it's so great. He's he grabs the screen every time, every time the camera's on him. It's yeah. Like he can't see anybody else. He's, he's a master and, and you feel yeah. that. And Redford, is, uh, you know, one of his great powers, other than the great double take, of which we get, I think, one too many in this film. Maybe three Redford <laughs> double takes and sneakers. Joel, does that ring, ring true to you? Oh, yeah. yeah There's several. But they're all awesome, but it's kind of like, dude, you can mm -hmm. only do that once or twice in a movie. You can't. Yeah, the... Yeah, yeah, it's it, it, it comes it, the key to a red. The, I'll, I'm gonna nerd out actor wise. The key to a Redford double take is it's got to come from 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 below. Yeah, it's 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 the you're down here, you're in thought. <laughs> it's that that's so it, it, your chin's down and then you come yeah. up. And the best and, one yeah. ever <laughs> is when he says, "I'm a Republican too." In in uh, in um, all the president's men, go oh, check that out. That yeah. is. Yeah, that is Another the best. Uh, they're all good, and they're he does them all the time. Uh, all the president's men never heard of it. Yeah, 
It's a good one. But back to <laughs> no, this. It's, it's, my, it's I, it, literally my This pick. is such it's a plot-heavy, moment-to-moment yeah. film, and I kind of want to skip to the essence of it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's his, there's, there's a his big, friend there's a that we see arrested at the beginning of the movie. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Cosmo. Cosmo. Yeah, but yeah. what's his full name? Do we know? Uh, Cosmo Kramer? No. no. Um, yeah, no. I mean, maybe we don't know. Here. Either way, as an adult, he's played by Ben Kingsley. Martin's thought this whole time that he died in prison, and he's sort of the mastermind behind this. Yeah, he wants the box, but he also wants his revenge at the same time. So it's multi-layered and complicated, and all the little voice recognition. There's a fantastic sequence where all you have is a computer screen. You have nothing but a computer screen and a phone call. Yep. Where all it is is Stratheran bounces the signal and so that the, the their phone call can't be to the actual NSA. It can't be traced. Uh, yeah. The great voice of James Earl Jones is on the other end of the line, which is fantastic. Uh, fantastic cameo by him. And... Uh, and we just watched the trace go through the different satellites and the different little yep. hubs that Stratheran's gone through. It's this, Joel calls it a, the ticking bomb, you know, theory of drama. And it, it is that to perfection. And it's super yeah. intense. And that one ends with him pulling the phone, right? Right off the thing. Yeah, it's great scene. Yeah, the the phone, which is so ironic that it's not even nested inside the, the holder. Right. It's sitting on top and he picks it up and I'm like, Man, I, you could have just flipped the switch, but I guess it's not as dramatic. <laughs> no, <right? laughs> maximum drama is is the reverse hanging up of the phone. I love it. I love that sequence. I love Mary McConnell and Joe. Uh, uh, jo no, um, Tobolowski. What's his name? The oh, uh, yeah, um, um, Stephen Tobolowski. Tobolowski. Yeah. Thank you. Never, at least as far as his clown performances, never better than he is in this film, in my opinion. Maybe you could maybe Groundhog's Day, but I actually think he's better in this. Their blind date is is a disaster of massive proportions. Oh my god! Um, really, really entertaining. Uh, the the end heist is great, but it's great like the end of an A Team episode where nothing they planned goes right at all, and everything had they got to think on their feet and. Yep. fix all this stuff there's what resembles a car chase driven by a blind guy at the end of the movie which is really really exciting oh so good <laughs> it's fun i mean it's it's everything you want it's all set up and payoff set up and payoff it's a, a master class in that sort of storytelling and there's yeah. very little that's as satisfying as that it's not a deep movie it's a it's just a light entertainment yeah. but man that, from 1992 it for, for that kind of thing again uh, this one's more serious. We lose a couple of people along the way. Like you don't want, I don't want to totally underdo it, but in that same sort of field of dreams way, these guys all, and war games for that matter, it, these guys all came back together again to, this was produced and again, written by the guys from war games along with Robinson and directed by Robinson. This is where those two threads truly meet yeah. and they never meet quite the same way again. But they, but they all kind of remain in touch, and they're all pals and partners going forward. And as much as I love Field of Dreams, I when I really want to feel great and watch a movie that like just makes me grin from ear to ear the whole time, I go with Sneakers. I I, I adore it. It's it looks great. It sounds great. James mm -hmm. Horner's music is fantastic. 
very saxophony and very bluesy, kind of like him, but also a little unlike him, which is nice. Because doesn't it doesn't it feature Wynton Marsalis? Yeah, it does. Yes. Isn't it? Yeah, it's all like yeah. for some reason they they yeah they, it's filled with yeah they decided to go all yeah jazzy. I can hum it. It's very they don't do scores like that anymore where they're melodic yeah. and you can hum them and they have yeah. all this personality so. Fun um, stuff. Yeah. Anything else? Did I leave out anyone's favorite part? I mean, there's so much. Ben Kingsley as the grown-up cause is fantastic. He's revealed, you know, fully halfway into the movie, but he that's that's an important role. And him and the kid who plays him in the back have the exact same sort of north northern, like Yonkers sort of New York accent, which is really, really awesome yep. as well, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I mean, it is, it, it is, uh, incredibly fun. It is, I mean, yeah, it is a movie that, well, you, there's a reason why we have a hard time, um, putting it in a category because it is, it, it I mean, if anything, it, it is, you just kind of got to call it an ensemble heist movie. Yeah. It's a, um, it, all heist movies are crime dramas. And if I had to yeah. pick a category, that's the one I would pick, but it's so yeah. comedic and fun that sticking it alongside like Miller's crossing or even other heist movies from the era doesn't feel quite right, but it's hard to just call it a straight up comedy too. But I think if you did, I wouldn't argue with you because it's really funny and fun. The fact in that opening heist sequence that as they're running through the bank, uh, there's two moments that, that are hilarious. I mean, there's a lot that's hilarious, but two moments, it's just the moment of, uh, 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 dude jumps over the the uh over the the counter <laughs> river phoenix redford, jumps over the counter yeah, river phoenix jumps over and <laughs> and um and redford tries to do the same thing and totally wipes out and poitier just like yeah and he goes goes around, around. <laughs> and just gives him this look like you idiot yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and yeah and, and that moment because that to me tells you oh that it's going to be that's tells me what kind of movie it's going to be yeah. nothing's going to go perfect right um or you know <laughs> and um and then also the dude uh when he's putting uh putting the, the black paint on his face yeah, yeah phoenix. getting ready to phoenix go phoenix is putting out <laughs> putting a black and poitier comes up you know they come up and, he just, and poitier does a double take yes. on it he's just like <laughs> and then and doesn't and it was just like doesn't say anything but doesn't but, say anything, and, but phoenix but is just like a Phoenix's acknowledgement of what just happened there and his sort of yeah. uh, awkward yeah, shame yeah. about it is really, really yeah. funny. It's really funny <laughs> yep. uh, on a really complex joke. And it's, uh, yep. yeah, it's, it's, yeah. And it's like, oh, that's, that to me tells, yeah, that tells you what, and it's, you know, like anything we talk about when, it, when it's drama, humor makes drama land harder. And yeah. so that, you know, that's why it's when all of these, you know, you got to have all of this humor, you got to have all these good times, you got to have all the, the, the parts that do just absolutely make you smile, make you laugh. There are some real laugh out loud moments. And that is, and that is what helps raise the stakes later. Your when... husband worked for the CIA. He knows about cow mutilations. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> are you saying the C- Are you saying the CIA caused the uh, caused the earthquake? Well, in, I can't in, prove in it. Nicaragua. But... I can't prove it. But that's it. I'm done uh, talking to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's um, yeah. I mean, and sneakers is one of these movies that 
uh yeah i mean it did did fine when it came out sure it was, you know it was it was good but it's one of these movies that has become beloved over the years yeah yeah uh the people who love sneakers love adore it and and you know i think the three of us kind of would fall into that category for too. sure it it is absolutely just a, a super super fun it's uh, not as film. important or iconic as either field of dreams or war games Right, and yet it's this perfect melding of everything that's great about both of them, and then mm-hmm. in that way, in that way, have... it's it is kind of wonderful, and it is yeah. sort of the purpose of this show. It's there's a couple other things to talk about, but this is where the magic met and really just everything clicked. Yeah, yeah. you put Drinkenstein in sneakers, it's a hit. <laughs> it's a big time hit. You get Poitier sing. Oh, that was what I was going to say about Cindy Poitier. Is again, you, we talked about how you know, uh, yeah, you, they they you know, you really see like we talked about James Earl Jones having so much fun in Field of Dreams. It's so yeah. evident the joy he is having acting in this film. Yeah. You feel that with Cindy Poitier in this, and 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 you're like you're you're right. Cindy Poitier always had to you know as a performer, he had to do all of the you know he had to do a lot of heavy films, and he never really got to have he directed well, and, and, all of these and, and had to. He felt a responsibility to the right. audiences of the day to, to do something meaningful every time. And every that's time what up. he was now drawn he, to, and that's what they kept giving him, and he just kept taking it. Right. But it, as it director, burned him as, out on storytelling, yeah. and he had to go away for a while to chill mm-hmm. out. And when and he, he came directed, back, he had fun, yeah, and he, he never had more fun. I, I hate yeah, to speak for him. Comedies. Yeah. He directed those comedies. He directed some fun. That's right. Kind of screwball comedies. He did. But he never, you know, in in uh, what stir crazy and what's the other one? Uh, the the kind uh, of the. Uh, um, let me look. Click on him here. Sorry. Uh, I no, it's worth this. mentioning because um, it is crazy that that guy when he it, got into yeah, directing. We talked about it in another film. We talked talked about it in another episode here. Yeah. Um, uh, where are you here? It is. Oh, Hanky Panky. We talked about Hanky Panky. Right, two Gene and, Wilder yeah. films. Yeah. Two Gene Wilder films. And, um, uh, yeah, I mean, he even directed ghost dad, ghost dad. Great. No, but it's a comedy. Yep. And, um, and yeah, so he, so yeah, then he gets a chance to, to, to really. And, and, an and ghost dad, seems... if you take the baggage out of it actually is pretty cute and, and fun, I think. Uh, I would have to go back and revisit it, which I, I which you're not going to do. My, yeah, well, no, yeah, we don't. Add that to my list of things. We're going to recommend you guys, happen. with respect to City Poitier, uh, don't go watch Ghost Dad at this point. Yeah. That would be weird. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So, uh, so <laughs> to put a cap or to put a cap on on this episode with Phil Alden Robinson. Phil, after Sneakers, Phil uh, goes on to do Some of All Fears. Um, yeah, we can talk the, about Some of All Fears a little bit. Hey. Can we jump we back to cryptography to. for a second? Because please, okay, yeah, sorry, that throughout all, everything that we've been talking about and how you scramble words and numbers and letters around, and I think we've made that sight gag more than once throughout yeah, this. Uh, perhaps, episode. yeah. We're so not seeing that, the sight gags yet, and we're the not live seeing the sight gags, but magic. Of but I, they always I do yeah. seem to appear in the movie show with Joel and Ryan when I'm least expecting them. Yeah, that that was one of the the great things about the way that film opens up is you. Right through the opening credits, you see everybody's name scrambled into something, right? right. And I think we just played with anagrams, right? Is anagrams, yeah, on and off, and then they don't talk about it again in the film. Well, and they do. They do the Scrabble later, thing. Too many right. secrets. That's that's when it comes in when you get too many secrets, but you never think about it. But that's essentially cryptography. Yeah, you're scram you're scrambling up a regular word into something else, 
Um, you're replacing letters and characters. You're going the whole way. You're just you're using such complex math that it is considered yep. unbreakable. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's where I I thought that was always a great thing about the film is that you get this at the beginning and it kind of primes your mind. And then by the time you get to the Scrabble scene, you're like. And even I the Scrabble it. scene is just solving a simple yeah. anagram, but uh, but it is driving home the in the its most simplest form what cryptography is. Yep, and that's that is that's very very cool. And the mm-hmm. other, like I say, the other tech in it sort of takes a backseat because it's a heist movie. There's not nearly as much computer stuff, although there's plenty. Yeah. Uh, some of the highlights are that it's there's this mix of the the heat sensors, the motion sensors, the yeah. voice recognition technology. There's all this stuff that was on the cutting edge of technology at the time that it evaluates and that it presents as a problem that has to be solved. And these are little heroes have to solve the problems. And the way they do is ingenious and it is fun to watch for sure. Great. Yeah. And some of all fears, we've talked about that on the Tom Clancy show, so Joel's right. We don't really need to talk about it. But Phil, right. Phil's next movie, um, it's great. There, there. It's, uh, it, it's. You know, it was an attempt at rebooting um, Jack Ryan for the screen, and it, it's too bad it wasn't seen by a few million more people because it's a really great. And I've always thought yes. a fantastic reboot of that story by just going back to square run, going back to the nerdy analyst character and thrusting yeah. him into an action hero type role. I think the film really, really accomplished that in a great way. And I think it, it presents, you know, Morgan Freeman and, uh, Leah Schreiber and all these, and, uh, uh, Bridget Moynihan, all these people that we know from those stories at, at their origins, which I think is yep. really great. I told you, I'd tell you about the throwback. He works for the Russian desk at the CIA analyst department and there it again it's fun it's this team up scene where these guys all sit around and they theorize about stuff and they gossip about the people that they observe and stuff and and one of the thing is who was uh, who was sleeping with Elena Rishkoff at the thing and to make it even more funny is that um uh Garland what's her name again Lee Lee I knew you were going to ask me that. Um, I'm sorry. She's She plays one of the analysts. She's pregnant in the movie, which I think yes. she was pregnant in real life. And she's like, well, he's like, you want to do this? And she's like, no, I'm Lee pregnant. Gar- and he's like, yeah, be, Lee Garlington. Be, Lee Garlington. He's like, yeah, fine. Be pregnant. Show up. It'll be fun. And she's the <laughs> one who solves the issue of who her former character was sleeping with to yeah. the rest of the boys club in this scene. That's, that's fun stuff. There's a great scene where... You know, he's not, he doesn't tell anyone who he works for. He's fallen in love with this doctor and, mm-hmm. and they're on the plane to, on the way back from some, to some sort of, or they're on the way to a nuclear inspection in Russia. Yeah. And she, he's calling her on it, their phone because he's got to break her date. And there's this great moment where, and Tom Clancy on the audio commentary, this actually makes him laugh. This was not his gag. This is a phil alden robinson special for my money but he uh morgan freeman goes god tell her who you work for tell her what you're doing and he's like really i'm i'm allowed to do that he goes yeah yeah, she'll 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 be impressed (laughs) he's like all right he goes well i'm working ben affleck you know really good in this movie goes yeah uh i'm working for the cia and i'm actually on my way to russia and she just like what (laughs) 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 
It's one of my favorite audio commentaries. There's two of them on that old DVD, but one of them is with Phil Robinson, which is great to hear him. He has does one for Field of Dreams too, which is great. But this one's fun because it's him and Tom Clancy, who who you know the adapter of the material and the guy who wrote the novel, and they yeah. didn't really work together much. So how they got on this? This was the golden age of audio commentaries. It must be why it exists. What it starts out, he goes, "Well, I'm Phil Alden Robinson. I adapted, and you know they always introduce themselves. I adapted and directed uh, some of all fears, and then and then Clancy goes." And I'm Tom Clancy, and I wrote the novel that you ignored. (laughs) (laughs) It's a a treat. It's a treat to listen to. I mean, it's really, really fun. Because Clancy's allowed to do that, and Robinson's such a diplomat. He's so kind of smooth that he negotiates all that stuff. And I think he appreciates what great radio it is, basically, you know, like a good host would. And he lets Clancy sort of take over the thing, which is really, really fun. Um, that's a good movie, man. Some of All Fears is a harrowing yeah. story. Uh, it's got the it's got the first sort of cataclysmically. It's weird that they s- turned it into an origin story, but they do that masterfully. That's what's great about it, I think. It's got my favorite yeah. Michael Byrne performance too. Is one of my favorite British character actors. He plays a Russian. Basically, he plays like a former head of the KGB type of guy who is what he's about and what he's doing is suspect through the whole movie. We find out that he's got a hidden sort of soul to him before it's over. That's a bit of a spoiler alert. But that complexity in very small amount of screen time is why I like it so much. And uh, and it, it has, as I say, for an origin story, it has the first, in a Tom Clancy novel, in a Jack Ryan novel, it has the first politically cataclysmic event most of his novels up to that point what happened was secretive the files have been sealed like you you're hearing about this for the first time that's sort of the whole shebang of them and in this one this what happens in it it just nothing prepares you for what happens in it in the film Mm -hmm. even though the film in a great Robinson's writing sort of way sets you up each step of the way of what this is and what's about to happen. And then the things that are going to come afterwards, it, it tells us all of that. Yeah. But you still kind of don't think something like that would happen in a movie like this. And that makes all the difference in the world. It's to me. And that's kind of a departure from Robinson's other films where there is a terrible thing looming over top of your protagonist, but it, but we we it. we right. deep in our hearts we feel safe from that stuff yeah. even in war games as intense as it yeah. is it's not gonna happen we're gonna find a way around of it and then it does happen in this film and you're like oh yeah <laughs> yeah the whole final act of the film is really really intense and yeah. and it 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 really, really works well. I mean, I really, I, we're not going to talk about some of all fears the way we talked about these other ones. We did go pretty, I did went pretty in depth anyway, back in, uh, back in the, um, Tom Clancy, Tom Clancy, Tom Clancy episode, top yeah. five or whatever it was, but, but it's good. And I keep wanting to remind people it's good. I, I can't imagine Tom Clancy fans haven't seen it, but you know, Ben Affleck is starring in a film at this time where he was sort of considered a bit of a joke during this period before yeah. it was right before he started making movies on his own so that he would have good movies to act in is what he's always said. I, you know, I want, he's got an Oscar at home for Argo, but he really became a filmmaker. Yeah. 
Uh, he didn't act in his first movie. He felt he had to learn how to direct the hard way and not be in front of the camera while he was doing it. But, what, he cast his brother in the role he would have had, which is as close to casting yourself in something as it gets. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> he's a good filmmaker, and he's a really he's really great as Jack in this. You know, With respect mm-hmm. to the people who've come later, Chris Pine and John Krasinski, everybody's done, I think, done a really cool job, but... I love Ben. I wish we could, we'd have gotten a trilogy out of this and we'd have gotten more films because the things they set up in that one are fantastic. He did. Uh, I did read this little blurb um, that he said to Phil Alden Robinson when he got on the set. He's like, hey, it's great to be working with you again. Phil's like, again? Huh? What do you mean? Apparently, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon are were extras in the Fenway Park scene of Field of Dreams. Of course they were. <laughs> of course they were. Yeah, that makes and perfect like, sense. Oh of course God, they God. were. <laughs> and oh, that that's... is Affleck carried that with him the whole way. That's really, really awesome. That's and you know, really Aff- great. he's great in it. The character's great. Just yeah. can't shut up. Can't not. He's you know, he's got something to say. He says it. He puts himself yeah. on the line. He gets a reputation as being unreliable, in fact, by doing that because yeah. of another group of military guys and advisors who really aren't able to see things three-dimensionally, frankly, and yeah. and to even care at a certain point what they actually are. Yeah. That's a great mm-hmm. line from uh, The Illusionist to Paul Giamatti, one of my favorite performances, where he says, uh, no, I think you're going to want to tell me the truth about this because unlike some people who would see a discreet carriage ride as uh, as one thing, I'm actually prepared to hear what it actually was. Yeah, <laughs> and you're not going to run a, a, across a lot of people like that in life, especially not a lot of police inspectors who live in uh, monarch under monarchies. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And he does. He sees the complexity and stuff. And he, the whole movie is about him trying to communicate that complexity. The height of the thing is very, very similar to this in that he's in front of a computer screen having a yep. chat with the premier of Russia, played by Kieran Hines, and trying to stave off Armageddon. What we've seen then, happens is bad enough. What is coming could be yeah. truly catastrophic. It's a good this movie. This is another film that Philip Alden Robinson is directing or have written where technology is explained simplistically. Yeah. Very complex systems. Like when you're talking about what um, in the beginning, when Ryan is talking, Affleck's character is saying, well, I took these databases and I did this and this and this with it and explains it. And he explains it in a really simplistic manner that other people get, I guess in a technologist, I'm like, I know exactly what you did and I know exactly how you did it. And I can see why those dudes were stumped by it. Right. But from that point all the way to the communications where he's talking to the president of um, the Soviet Union or Russia at the time and uh, the president of the United States is listening the when he explains about all the the cascading effects that are happening and why these little things are, are in their place. You don't feel dumb. Right. As an audience member. Uh-uh. And, and yet you don't feel babied or condescended to right it's yeah. a lost art i watch a lot of dumb movies and i they're fun and they're fun action movies and they are super 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 condescending and yeah. i don't know why we like that it's weird <laughs> but you right. go back I, but we do clearly all of the rocks movies are super condescending all of them 
There are none that respects the audience's intelligence. They all ex assume that you're stupid, and they want. And it's not the Rock's fault specifically, but when you get on a certain level of budget and a certain level of popcorn entertainment these days, Johnny the Explainer keeps showing his head because he doesn't want you to be confused for even a second. And yeah. and but further, but along with Brian's point is that just the art of doing that, and all these movies do it. Like, the art of doing it in a way that respects the intelligence of the viewer is is lost. It's, it remains with only a, a alarmingly few people, you know, and it that bums me out. And when you see it and feel it, that great moment where he's like, "Cut him off! Cut him off!" Because we can't cut him off. The whole you designed the damn thing so that we could never, you know, hang up on each other. That's the whole point yeah. is to talk. It's you know that's fantastic stuff. I love it. James Cromwell um, as the president. You get to hear him do a jokey, uh, a jokey like uh, correspondence dinner speech. That's actually pretty. That's genuinely funny in the way those tend to be. Yep, S stuff like that. Those are nice touches, I think. Uh, so Phil also. Uh, so that as we you know said, Phil cut his teeth as a director um, initially in TV. He ends up going back to uh, to TV. Should have mentioned this before. Some of all fears, but he directs the pilot episode of Band of Brothers. Um, I also yeah, quickly yeah. should mention, I since I mentioned and Band Ghost of Brothers Dad, was a, uh, I mean, it was an HBO thing, was a DreamWorks yeah. thing. Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg produced, and Walter F. Parks and his wife Laurie McDonald were the head of production for DreamWorks Studios yes. when it was a production studio. They were the top people there. So all of those DreamWorks films, whenever you see that logo, they they pretty much inevitably see their name. So he. He moved catastrophically forward, at least as a producer. As a writer, he sort of fell off the map. Um, Robinson, I should, I should mention, since since you mentioned that, Ghost Dad, written by Phil Alden Robinson. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so I since I so mentioned there's that a connection. Earlier, there, yeah, yeah, so <laughs> that's how. I, there you go. Um, he also, uh, you know, he also directed uh, The Good Wife, you know, essentially, you know, created The Good Fight, which is sort of the spinoff of The Good Wife. Yeah, he was he was promoted from uh, many time director to basically visual consultant, sort of expert director person about on the mm -hmm. good fight. Those shows are really fantastic. His he was brought in, you know, the kind of the way they do with the Game of Thrones mainstays or these big prestige shows. He was brought in to do the really tricky episodes and and mm -hmm. Good Wife is an, despite all the behind the scenes dramas, a fantastic network TV show for my money. Good fight is yeah. a pale by comparison, but if it's let's do the same thing again but different, as far as that goes, it's pretty good. So yep. Um that's so that is, you know, that's our episode of war games to sneakers and all the goodness in between. And before uh, and after. Here, and yeah, and uh, here here on Shoe Them View with Eleanor Jandy. Um <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> And of course, I wish I could say that you could reach out to us on the Shoe Them View with Eleanor Jandy page on Facebook. Um, I almost want to create those accounts uh, just for this episode. You better do I'm... it before somebody steals it, man. No, I, I, you know what? Have had it. Yeah, okay. Uh, with you, got, you, got view, you got a bigger fish to fry, right? Uh, indeed, I do. And you felt good uh, after your walk around the room? You feeling better? I did feel good. Feel Yeah, feeling all right. Uh, you know, nice. just, just uh, doing doing the doing the work that's going to take to get me up and moving around uh, uh, after surgery this week. We um, think next week, 
I'm awaiting official confirmation, but we think mm-hmm. next week we're finally going to do our uh, Ray Harryhausen tribute Ray episode. Yep. That'll be a, a humdinger. That'll we'll see what we'll see what comes of that, but that's really really exciting. We'll have some special surprise guests for that. Indeed. Um and can't thank you enough, Brian, for sticking with us and giving us an idea. And even if I distorted or wrecked your idea like Stallone did to Rhinestone, <laughs> I appreciate you hanging in there and, and recognizing the collaborative nature of this thing. I really I, appreciate that more than you know. And yeah. uh, Thanks and for your expertise, on. dude. Damn. Yeah. 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 Was, thank you, Brian. So very Yeah, very you're much. welcome. Um, I don't um, think you ripped the guts and the soul out of the show, uh, Ryan, when you made those changes, but it's all good, man. I'm good. just saying, it's, I know how it can feel. It's happened to all the best of us, so thank you for that. Sure. So, uh, as of course, you can reach out to us on the Movie Show with Joel and Ryan page on Facebook, at Ask Joel and Ryan, on uh, Instagram and TikTok. I'm not going to mention that other media platform anymore, because we're probably not going to be on that. Um, Sorry, folks. It, who yeah, never I, reached out to us there anyway. I don't think there's exactly. any big, real big loss there. But No, no big loss. Um, and uh, and then, like I mentioned, you can now search for us very easily on uh, the movie sh- uh, on YouTube at The Movie Show with Joel and Ryan. Um, we now have our own customized handle, youtube.com slash at The Miracles the of Technology. Indeed. Uh, so on behalf of Randy Corn Slabs, Horny Swan Trainer, I am Inmate Jellos, and you have been watching and listening to Shoe Them View with Eleanor Jandy. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Movie Show with Joel and Ryan. Remember, all views and opinions represented in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the speaker and do not represent those people, institutions, or organizations that the speaker may or may not be associated with, unless explicitly stated. None of these views and opinions were intended to malign or deceive. And now, here's the producers, circa 1982, to play us out. <laughs>